0: Hello, once again, welcome to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jack Nefflin. Thank you for joining us for our fourth creature feature. This is the last episode of round one. This week, we'll be discussing 1975's The Rocky Horror Picture Show, as well as 1987's The Witches of Eastwick.
1: These are our Promethean and Witch movies. Yes. For those who are a little unclear... Promethean is a reference to Frankenstein's full title, Frankenstein, a modern Prometheus. So it's basically our constructed creature movie, as it were. And this Rocky Horror is technically a Frankenstein pastiche. Seated number two for the Promethean
0: slot was Young Frankenstein, which I am very disappointed did not make it onto the bracket because it's
1: one of my favorite Mel Brooks films. Comparably, neither Hocus Pocus nor Practical Magic made it onto the bracket instead of Witches of Eastwick, which we'll get into it. But... I love both of those movies, and I'm sad that they're not here. Unfortunately, we're starting off on a little bit of a bad
0: foot, wishing they were other movies.
1: <laughs> also, unfortunately, we have a trigger warning again. Rocky Horror Picture Show gets into some sexual assault stuff, and also some stuff with transphobia. If you don't want to deal, that's totally fine. And since we're here anyway,
0: is of Eastwick deals with uh, abusive relationships. Mm-hmm.
1: We're probably not going to get into it too thoroughly, but yeah. Just a heads up. If you, you know listen to the first three minutes of this podcast and then watch the movies instead of before or after (laughs) also just getting other things out of the way it is canon to the world building of rocky Horror picture show that frank is a transvestite from the planet of transsexual both of which are terms that we've generally phased out of acceptable discourse however they're used enough in the film that i don't want to deal with stumbling around it so using the power vested in me as a podcast lawyer And also, as a trans person, I'm going to declare it okay for the next hour of recording. So, keep it snappy. (sighs) Speaking
0: of Rocky Horror, why don't we go get into a... Well, as much of a synopsis as I can give. What happened? So, the film starts off with Brad Majors and Janet Weiss attending a wedding of some friends of theirs. Brad, after seeing his friend get married, is like, that seems like a good idea, and proposes to Janet... We then get cut to a narrator who has not been introduced previous in the film to explain exactly what's going on when Brad and Janet, on their way to visit a a high school teacher that tutored them, their car breaks down, and they then head to the nearest residence, which happens to be a very castle-looking mansion. You know, it's raining, and they ask if they could come in, use their telephone, and get a tow or whatnot. The residents of said castle are... A little on the weird side, but Brad is trying to make the most of things and trying to be very open minded. We're introduced to uh, Riff Raff, Magenta, Columbia, and Dr. Frank N. Furter, here played by Tim Curry. There's a few song and dance numbers. Frank takes a shining to Brad and Janet and invites them up to his lab to show him, as well as all his other guests,
1: what's on the slab. <laughs>
0: which happens to be a body wrapped in bandages that Frankenfurter then brings to life as Rocky, who is a blonde, heavily muscled man in a gold Speedo that Frankenfurter specifically created to be his human sex slave. One of Rocky's donors wakes up out of deep freeze. There's another song and dance number. Frankenfurter re-murders him. A number of uncomfortable sexual antics ensue. The professor that Janet and Brad were going to see winds up at that residence, and it's then revealed that the donor was the professor's nephew, and he gets fed to them. Then some other things happen, and it's revealed that Frank, Riff Raff, and Columbia are aliens. They were supposed to go home, but Frank doesn't want to leave because he's enjoying having sex with all these earthlings. And then they're petrified, then there's another song and dance number, and then there's a King Kong reference, and Frank, Rocky, and Columbia are all killed by the aliens, and the other three people still left are told to get out of the house as it takes off. The end. If you're confused, there's no shame in being confused. I don't think anyone can watch this movie and not be confused.
1: This movie's kind of going to be hard for us to talk about because we tend to focus on things like characterization, plot acting even special effects none of those were high on the priority list for this film maybe characterization the characters are very strongly characterized
0: i guess that's a way that you could put it
1: i mean like we we know who
0: they are and some of them even have arcs i will say watching this film specifically trying to follow along i was completely at a loss for what the hell was happening I didn't understand the film until I went online and did some research about A. The original stage play and how that was plotted and B. The whole impetus for the stage play in the first place. So Rocky Horror is attempting to do a love letter slash pastiche of B. Horror and science fiction films from like the 1930s to the 1950s. If you're looking at it through that lens of something like Metropolis or uh, The Forbidden Planet or Plan 9 from Outer Space, the film actually makes so much more sense about why it is the way it is. But unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of difference in B-horror and sci-fi films that were unintentionally hilarious because of how unskilled the production was versus Rocky Horror specifically trying to emulate that, but tongue-in-cheek. There's honestly not a whole lot of difference. It's still just bad. <laughs>
1: what is it, Poe's Law, where this you can't really tell the difference between a parody and a thing just being that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think this is maybe not not a fair film to throw at you to have to critique having seen it only once, not really knowing what to do with it. Because I mean, I have seen it several times, get what it's doing, and can laugh at it, generally. That is, by the way, a thing. I'm not sure if we
0: mentioned that before. This is my first time ever seeing Rocky Horror Picture Show. Whereas I've dated several
1: different people who were in shadow casts. <laughs> Two types of people. <laughs> I am a second generation Transylvanian. That was a weird text to get from my mom at one point. She went to a shadow cast and had an outfit and everything. It was great. That doesn't surprise me at all about your mom. <laughs> your mom is awesome, though. She is pretty awesome. I can't imagine anybody listening to this isn't aware, but... Part of the reason this film is around is that it has this ongoing cult following with subculture within it. The whole thing of doing shadow cast is a big part of that. There's call and response that you're supposed to have as an audience member. So when you say Janet, the audience says sluts. When you say Brad, the audience says asshole, etc. So it has this very long cultural legacy. That's kind of why it has stayed in pop culture so long. Whereas other things from the 70s, like Van of the Paradise, haven't. Mm-hmm.
0: That's also one of the reasons why it's so highly seeded is because it continues to get theatrical release every single year, pretty much. And so that has bumped up its uh, box office gross. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with a number of Disney films, specifically Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Right. I think we've gotten enough into the background of things. Why don't we go ahead and actually talk about the movie proper? I think there's nothing proper about this movie. It's <laughs> very true. Indicative of that is, this is a musical that has terrible sound mixing. Mm -hmm. Now, a decent number of songs are pretty good. The Time Warp is probably the best, and then there's a few others that are pretty good.
1: Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of bits where the audio is a little hard to hear, which I think wouldn't strictly be a problem if it was a fairly straightforward movie, but if you're trying to follow the plot, that doesn't help you. No. It's really frustrating.
0: All the instrumentation is fine but none of the vocal parts of the music are really that intelligible and like you said because the musical numbers are taking us through the plot it's really hard to follow along because of that this is definitely a film that on a rewatch i would definitely find one that had subtitles
1: yeah i will say that how much you're going to be able to enjoy rocky horror is probably dependent on how much you enjoy things happening kind of musicals you're not strictly supposed to be here for like the plot or the arcs you're here for watching people in funny costumes doing song and dances which yeah
0: fair enough Mm -hmm. but it has very much taken inspiration from 30s and 50s b-movies and understanding that I'm like okay i get everything that it's doing and it does it well but i'm still just not a fan right and that's on me I'm trying not to judge this film too harshly because it's not my thing. But the bad sound mixing is a huge strike against a film that is a musical and is using the musical numbers to move the story
1: along. Let's talk about the visuals. How do we feel about them? Things this movie has, that other movies have that we can talk about. Images. <laughs> Things
0: move. So, I think the visuals are. Probably one of the better parts of this film technically i think the costuming is pretty solid the very striking palette that frank's lab has is gorgeous and it works very well and it separates that space from the rest of the mansion that we're shown very bold use of color yeah i honestly don't have any complaints as far as visuals for set design or costuming or even the effects some of the effects are a little silly
1: like there's the antimatter laser
0: a laser capable of emitting a
1: beam of pure antimatter that's just some lightning bolts drawn onto the film basically and you could probably critique that i choose not to because i kind of enjoy that like what is now an incredibly low budget effect that does not reflect any kind of reality that you would see if you were in that scene but definitely expresses what's happening in the language of the film Again, it is very much tied to
0: the pastiche of 30s and 50s sci-fi.
1: Yeah. And there are some really fun cinematography stuff. There's a fun bit where we've got the wedding caterer's van parked in the graveyard behind Brad and Janet when they're singing. And so you have this fun interplay of love and death in the same frame. There's a lot of that throughout, which is fun. I'm not entirely sure what it means, but it's fun. After
0: watching the movie and reading about it, That whole music number where you have Brad and Janet confessing their love for another another and celebrating their engagement, but you have all of this dour symbolism in the background. Like you have a parody of American Gothic and that farming family is like trying to have a funeral while they are singing and celebrating through the church. To me, it reads as this romance is doomed from the start.
1: Right. But is it? Are they broken up at the end? I genuinely don't know. I have no idea. The plot kind of falls apart after Meatloaf dies. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things that are happening that leave room for interpretation, I guess. Also, they redo the American Gothic, but with riffraff from Magenta at the end, but instead of a pitchfork, it's the antimatter laser gun thing. I still don't know what it means, but it made me happy. It made me laugh. Speaking of like that doomed relationship, why don't we go ahead
0: and get into Frankenfurter and his uh, midnight escapades.
1: I feel like the film was doing that thing where it doesn't know the difference between seduction and sexual assault. I feel like the story we are meant to interpret, I think, is that Frank seduces both Brad and Janet, but... Not at the same time. Not at the same time. Probably. I don't know. He might be able to split it off into two or whatever. Who knows? But the way it's presented is much closer to the sexual assault, and it's not great. Yeah. Specifically, he appears
0: to Brad and Janet uh, disguised as the other, yeah. respectively. There are protests at first, and Frank keeps pushing, and then they acquiesce. Yeah. First, we see it with Janet, and then we see it with... Brad And then Janet is outside and there are also uh, monitors in all of the bedrooms. So Janet sees the aftermath of the tryst between Brad and Frank. And she's like,
1: oh, Brad. How could you...
0: <laughs> and runs off. And then she finds Rocky, who has escaped his chains, holding him to Frank's bedchamber. Mm hmm and consoles him, and
1: then they end up sleeping together. Mm -hmm. There's a number of reads on this. There's person subject to sexual violence, then reaching out for any other kind of sex as a way to cope with that, which, fair enough, that's a thing. Uh, You can also read it as Janet has now been liberated by doing sex with Frank, and now she wants to do sex with anybody, which, if it were filmed differently, framed differently, I could also see that being a thing. There's ways for that to be interpreted that way, but Mm -hmm. I think it's still winds up being hashtag not great because of just the way that it's presented there was a way that you could keep the plot
0: points of who has sex with who and not make it gross but the film is from 1975 and in general it really didn't have the language or skill to do it
1: we also have to get into the whole villainous queer thing that's happening yeah There's a counterpoint that it's going to come in eventually, but that's still at the train station. It hasn't arrived yet. The Brad and Janet are both ostensibly this very heteronormative couple, but all the Transylvanians are very weird and sexual and queer or queer-coded. Some of them are explicitly queer. Like, it's not just coding with some of them. And there's a long, long, long history in culture and cinema of portraying queer people, especially trans people, as being villainous and sexually rapacious and unprincipled, etc. And I think this definitely falls into that trope, but now it's coming back from the station. It also has that thing where the villain is the most fun character. Ignoring the squeaky stuff, Frankenfurter is clearly the star of the show, Tim Curry is having the most fun. To a greater extent, the cultural zeitgeist around this film is one of gender and sexual liberation, and I think for a long time it kind of stood for that thing which gets complicated and icky with the sexual assault stuff but pulling back from that it's definitely that thing and the unapologeticness of some of these characters is why a lot of people love this movie a lot. I get that and I feel complicatedly about that and look, I tried to look to see what you know modern trans opinions are about Frankenfurter and there are opinions, lots of them. <laughs> so I'm not sure if the discourse has reached a like verdict on that and we're certainly not going to here on this podcast i will also mention that as the film goes on
0: frank is kind of treated as this very tragic villain all he wants to do is stay on earth and enjoy what it has to offer specifically in a sexual sense but there's nothing inherently wrong with it it's more so how frank goes about doing that and his other transylvanians like when i said we were to return to transylvania i referred only to magenta and myself You are to remain here. And end up killing him and Rocky.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And there's also an element of artist who really believes in their work but isn't very good at it. This is somewhere between Sunset Boulevard and Birdman-ish. While I think that some of the songs during the floor show, everything after the characters are petrified and then made into, I guess, dolls for Frank's performance... I think those songs are generally some of the weakest and least interesting to me, but I still feel the emotion that Frank is going through towards the end as he's having this hallucination of all these rich, beautiful people complimenting his work and enjoying his performance. I feel that even if I think that songs aren't that good. Mm -hmm. Sidebar, circling back to the trans issues, apparently Richard O'Brien is non-binary but also doesn't think trans women are women. So, what the fuck? Ugh...
0: What we're saying is if you are looking for a movie to help you understand transness, look somewhere else.
1: You're right. I think this movie should be looked at to help understand transness and trans history. I don't like a 300 level, not a 100 level.
0: Yeah, I definitely understand that this is very important from a historical perspective for the sexual liberation movement, as well as trans and gay and lesbian Identities. The trash queers. Mm -hmm. But this film's also over 40 years old at this point. Like the discourse has distinctly moved on. Mm -hmm. Final thoughts I think this film is interesting. I don't necessarily think it is good, and it's definitely not unproblematic.
1: Right. That said, ignoring that one scene, I think it's interesting, it's engaging. I am excited by this movie but like in the kind of more Victorian sense where emotions are happening within me while I'm watching it and I'm not entirely sure what to do with them all. It has badness, but it does not have lack of things to talk about and lack of ways to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. My last thing is that there's a subtle thing with Frankenfurter that I was super not here for that I noticed this time. So, I mean, it's possible some people haven't seen this movie and they don't know that we're talking about Tim Curry in a corset and fishnets and strong makeup and and a perm. That's the visual here. But Tim Curry's lab coat is this sort of green sparkly thing with a pink triangle on it. And I'm not here for the pink triangle in particular being used for this villain's outfit. Like, the pink triangle has its place in queer history. But this is towards the time when the pink triangle became a, like, symbol of age resistance and, like, cultural solidarity. And so I'm not here for it being used the way it was here. Like, I wasn't here for it in Watchmen. I didn't mean for this to be be and completely about the trans issues of the episode, but that's what it became. I'm sorry. I mean, that's one of the stronger, more interesting bits to talk about
0: because otherwise it's just this mishmash of pulp sci-fi and horror from the 30s and the 50s, rock and roll music from the 50s and the 60s, and glam and hair metal aesthetics from the 70s.
1: That is the thing on Gotham that I really liked. I liked that... Eddie's rock and roll and Frankenfurter's more glam stylings were kind of... The music would clash as the characters clashed. I think that was fun. That was a good way to incorporate the plot into the soundtrack stylings.
0: But I think in general, just trying to combine all of these very disparate things makes for a very messy film. And I don't think anyone would argue that the Rocky Horror Picture Show is not a messy film, love it or hate it.
1: <laughs> right. I think the mess is definitely something that a lot of people come here for, but on this podcast we are trying to be fairly evaluative of film strengths and weaknesses, and I think the messiness didn't always work for this film. In the same way that The Crow has a lot of mess to it, but I think it resolves well. And it's more coherent with its mess. It's it's a mess in... More coherent.
0: <laughs> God damn
1: it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's talk about Witches of Eastwick. (laughs) Witches of Eastwick from 1987, directed by the same guy who directed Mad Max. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't really have any thoughts on it. I just want to make sure people are aware that George Miller made this one. (laughs) Alexandra, Jane, and Suki are three single women dreaming of more, and they dream so hard they conjure a man. But instead of the handsome prince they wanted, it turns out to be a lecherous slime of a man, Daryl Van Horn. He buys the large estate in town and systematically seduces the three women. Initially jealous, they resolve into a perky harem, having wild sexy parties and occasionally doing magic. All is not well. Gossip newspaper writer Felicia goes mad with fear, accusing Daryl and the women of terrible things. At a party, Daryl convinces them to hex her, and her husband, terrified of what his wife is becoming, kills her. In horror, the women break up with Daryl, but in his spite, he hexes them with Snake's age and pain. Alex convinces him that they want him back, and they play a reconciliation, but while he's out, they steal his books of magic and banish him, or kill him, or something, it's a little unclear. In the epilogue, we learn that they've all had children, and are living in his mansion. He appears to the children on the television to try to influence them, but they just turn it off, derisively. And we have Jack Nicholson as Daryl Van Horn, Cher as Alex, Susan Sarandon, back from Rocky Horror where she played Janet as Jane, and then Michelle Pfeiffer, back from Wolf, uh, playing Sookie. In the past five weeks, we have discussed three
0: films with Susan Sarandon. This, Rocky Horror, and Speed Racer.
1: An unusual swath of movies to be in. <laughs> yeah. And also we're uh, uh, closing out the first round by having Richard Jenkins in here. He plays Clyde here, and he played Giles in The Shape of Water. He didn't have a beard, so I didn't recognize him at first, because I'm not good at faces. He was playing kind of the same character, someone who's afraid of the woman who lives nearest to him. Where do you want to start with this?
0: I think this also should get a little bit of background information. So this is based off of a book and it is often regarded as a historical feminist work, but it is written by a man. And that is...
1: A good summary of this conversation.
0: Yeah, I can see what he was going for, but I can also see the very large gap between what he was aiming at and where he hit.
1: Mm -hmm. The book's plot is comparable enough, but there's a fourth woman involved who the other three kill by giving her cancer, and then Daryl runs off with a man. So yay, more villainous bisexuals. (laughs) To the film's credit, it does do a
0: better job of making the women less awful. Yeah. Yeah. They want Felicia to like leave them alone and not turn the townspeople against them, but they don't necessarily want her harmed.
1: And it's mitigated by Felicia being actively antagonistic towards them and making their lives difficult, and also Daryl directly influencing them to do the thing. Although the film doesn't really mention why Felicia
0: starts doing the things that she's doing and being so antagonistic. She's very churchy and religious and when the film starts she's mostly against daryl van horn because him buying the house and make it this really gaudy presentation like pools right over there past the piano where the uh, ballroom used to be things like that there's also snowy eager uh, nesting grounds on the property and she's concerned about that and then it kind of boils down to this moral superiority it's like destroying traditional
1: family values yeah she has a lot of interesting things to say. Some really fun accusations. Spanish flies. Dildos. Anal intercourse. <laughs> But also it seems like she's having legit visions or something. Like it seems to go beyond paranoia to like she can actually somehow sense that Daryl is this monstrous thing that he is. Which muddies the water a bit because she's right. He is in fact some sort of demon or whatever. Mhm. I mean... He identifies as a devil, so she's not wrong. It's just that her accusations go broader than they needed to. Mm-hmm. I think she's supposed to be a stand-in for the woman who uses you know, traditional values to oppress other women. But that criticism is muddied because
0: of her being right about Daryl. Right. But they're unfortunately being splash damage to all of the women who are just trying to like live their lives and be happy.
1: Right. And it winds up with a film kind of rolling the various decadent things that they're doing into whatever supernatural evil Daryl is, mm. uh, which isn't fair to people who just like to have orgies and whatever. I'd be fine with it if it was all just wealth-based decadence, because I accept that conspicuous consumption is of the devil. That said, I do like that the women are oh, we got this woman killed, this is wrong, we are immediately going to stop this. That's mm. fair.
0: Last night, all that talk... Sweet, let's just talk. Those are just words. No, they're not. They make things happen. We make things happen. We
1: didn't have anything to do with this. Yes, we do.
0: Let's get into how Daryl is portrayed throughout the film, because I think that's one of the strong points, especially building him up in the beginning.
1: Yes, with caveats. Yes. So Daryl, played by Jack Nicholson, is this gross man. Are you trying to seduce me? I wouldn't dream of seducing you, Alexander. I wouldn't insult your intelligence with anything as trivial as seduction. But uh, I would love to fuck you.
0: Jack Nicholson has this skill for just playing this perfect sleaze of a person. We talked about it in Wolf, and he's really a good casting choice here. There's also just something off about him. Uh, When he's first introduced, no one can remember his name.
1: I love that so much. I love
0: name shit. And it takes all three of the protagonist women kind of getting together and spitballing together for the name to finally come out. And then as soon as it's out of one of their mouths, everyone can remember. Mm -hmm. Van Horn. Yes.
1: Daryl Van Horn. Daryl Van Horn. What kind of a name is that? Which is really cool and really strange. And never fully explained why that was, whether he was doing that on purpose or if that's just something to do with who he is as a person. And you kind of get the sense that this is a magical thing. They're doing a spell cast, but they don't add like special effects or audio cues or whatever. It's yeah. just a storytelling. Thing. I think was really yeah. nice.
0: The only thing that marks it as magical is Suki's necklace breaking and all of the pearls falling off and that leading to Felicia falling down the stairs and breaking her leg.
1: I also feel like there are way more pearls than should have fit on that necklace. Yeah, definitely. Which was also really cool. Like it didn't show like more pearls growing out of the necklace or whatever. They just kept falling and not stopping. It was really
0: nice. We see aerial shots of the floor like covered in these pearls, and like there's no way all of them would fit on a necklace that size.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you have an entire can of Martha Waynes rolling across that floor. Mm-hmm. And also, it just sounds so good. This film has very good sound mixing.
0: Also, another towards just the perfect amount of sleeves on Daryl. He has this awful little ponytail on the back of his head. It's so gross.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look
0: good. No. And as someone who currently has their hair in a ponytail, I can say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, like your ponytail looks great. Yes, thank you. He also has this way of espousing things that sound feminist if you've never heard any other feminist thing before that are both A neg and a self-neg at the same time.
0: Because you're an honest woman, and I'm being honest with you. I like women. I admire them. But if you want me to treat you like a dumb twit, I will. But what's the point? You have brains, Alex. More than brains. And you don't even know it, do you? Well, most women do not. I will say this. Jack Nicholson is nailing the predatory male feminist there's nuance there that's impressive
1: i respect the film's decision to model the devil after joss whedon <laughs> 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 and some of the stuff he says sounds uncomfortably turfy i mean the film isn't trying to engage with that at all but yeah. there's definitely like this element of women have this inherent power to them thing that crosses into some of the rhetoric we're seeing now from women born women feminists yeah. To be fair, that's all over
0: second wave feminism, which this film is drawing from. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily going to fault the film in general for like, yeah, some of this sounds a little bit turfy. It's like just kind of where the women's in power movement was when the book was written. Oh, yeah. And I mean, if the devil's saying most of this, I I fully believe the devil is a turf. So there's also this one scene where Daryl's seducing Jane, who is a cellist and teaches band at the local school and it has him break out his musical intro and play in front of her and it's a violin which is obviously a reference to
1: the devil went down to georgia he was looking for a soul to steal
0: i love all those little bits that are planting the seed yeah this dude's the devil or a devil at least
1: that seems also really fun for how the magic in this movie works we never really get like any kind of concrete rules in general which i'm totally fine with i think there's a lot of room to have unexplained magic and narratives Mm -hmm. and like here Jane is so passionate that her cello catches on fire, and it's really cool and exciting. It's never really explained how exactly that works or where that power's coming from. It's just a, a way of showing how she feels, mm. which is it's cool. I like it. And there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, they don't really say words or make symbols or whatever. It's just like feeling things really strongly until things happen. Whereas on the flip side, Daryl's magic, which is, I guess... Meant to be a little bit more devilish. And because of the way the film is working, more male-coded. Does have more rules. Does have these structures. We see his book with formulas. And he has to like do certain things with like hair and nail clippings. And making a doll and that kind of stuff to do the work. Which mm. I think is interesting. I don't know how it interacts with feminist discourse as a whole. But I think it was still a fun bit of world building. That they didn't really like get into. And they didn't need to get into for it to work.
0: Some other criticism as I have for the film. So we've talked a little bit about Felicia. And... After her death, the film really tries to play her off as this tragic character that we're supposed to care about, but they never do the work of making us care about her. Nope. And it's really frustrating. I understand why the three of them, like, we killed a person, we need to stop and reevaluate everything. But up until that point, Felicia has been an awful person.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And admittedly, their horror, at what has happened to be more about their own power and what they've been manipulated into and what Daryl is making them do than anything. But you're right, they could have characterized her as more than just the scared lady from every Stephen King movie. Mm -hmm. But that would mean they'd have less time to just let Jack Nicholson talk about how terrible women's are. The opening stuff is fun because it got some nuance, but towards the end, it's just him yelling stuff.
0: Yeah, there's literally a scene. At one point, he ends up in the church during service and he's just giving the most incel rant you can think of. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Women, a mistake? Or did he do it to us on purpose? Because I really want to know, because if it's a mistake, maybe we could do something about it, find a cure.
1: And if I got what the film was doing with this character and gender about five scenes ago. I didn't need it to go on as long as it did. Yeah. It was through funny to uncomfortable to do. I'm just bored now territory, which I think is not a great way to do that. Uh. It also doesn't help the film shifts its
0: tone so very often.
1: When it's at its best, it has this kind of fun, almost whimsical
0: quality to it. Yeah, like we were talking, kind of reminded of like roll Doll. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm.
0: There are other times where it gets dark and serious and wants you to feel that way and it just shifts tone so often it gets to a point where you're never sure how the film wants you to feel about something
1: also ding it for um alex using the r slur at one point yeah towards
0: the beginning of the film there's a rant that with the exception of that slur is really fun and compelling yeah uh, because she's just telling
1: off daryl and like it's great to see her just telling this guy off and being like no i don't want to make sex with you even though you're clearly offering to be my sugar daddy and then the, the moment gets ruined again
0: because daryl just turns up the manipulation and gets her in bed anyway
1: i was not as bothered by that because i could see that this was an evil character pr- preying on her fears and insecurities as a means of which is definitely a both an evil thing but also a thing that manipulative men do and that was a good way to establish him as a villain but you're right that it loses some of the feminist power yeah moments
0: i think that would have worked for either of the other women but alex it seems like that would be the least likely way to seduce her
1: Mm -hmm. also just while i'm here alex is played by Cher, and fuck Cher. but uh, this movie definitely interacting with americana i don't think it quite spends enough time to say what it's trying to say about that in particular We definitely have this, like, small New England
0: town thing going on. And then we have Daryl as this, you know, nouveau riche guy who is making a mockery of their, like, traditions and values and whatnot. And then we also see how the small New England town is interacting with these three single women. Their husbands have died in Alex's case, and she's raising their daughter alone alone. We have Jane, who just finalized a divorce and has not been able to have children with her ex-husband. And then we have Suki, who's has six kids and her husband just abandoned them. Mm-hmm. And how awful this small town treats these women for things that were not in their control.
1: Right. But it kind of creates this like no-win scenario thing, because you've either got small-town conservative America, or you have... The things the devil likes. And I feel like neither is a good option, which I think doesn't create a good way forward for culture.
0: Yeah, but I also definitely feel that that's kind of where a lot of people in thinking about feminists kind of felt. There's this very prudish small-town mindset, and then there's this evil hedonistic lifestyle. The Madonna whore thing with right. with women. Like, it, it makes sense why the film goes there, but it doesn't do a good job of defining a third way.
1: I think if the film had leaned more into the whimsy aspect, the more role doll aspect, it could have had a fun embracing your monstrousness thing, which might have been really fun. and might have really worked. And as someone who I think we've established at this point is definitely kind of in that queer feminist embracing of the monster as liberator archetype thing, I do that enough. So I could get on board with that, but it doesn't really lock into that, I guess.
0: I think I am ready to move into movie monster magic. Yeah. We don't really have all that much for these two. The most we can talk about are the effects. And if we're talking about Rocky, he's never really portrayed as monstrous. He's supposed to be this chiseled from stone Adonis. Yeah. The three women in Witches of Eastwick are never really shown to devolve into the monstrous hags that we sometimes think of when we think of witches. Right. That's kind of the witch archetype. The only thing we can really talk about is the effects, and we have the very campy effects from Rocky Horror Picture Show that are designed to be hokey and campy. And then we have some of the stuff in Witches of Eastwick with, like, the tennis ball and Jack Nicholson getting thrown around as they're moving the doll and things like that.
1: I think the standout bit for me probably comes from Witches of Eastwick. There's a bit where Jack Nicholson is sitting at home being bitter about these women who have broken up with him and his hand is turned into a claw it's cool it's fun it's kind of the monster peeking out thing i think it works really well and i think that's why i'd give it to witches of eastwick for that
0: yeah the way that the film interacts with revealing daryl as he truly is as opposed to what he was showing to the women as he was trying to seduce them and that progression is really interesting and just watching Daryl become more disheveled, constantly angry looking, less suave is really solid. It's definitely more interesting than anything going on in Rocky Horror.
1: Mm -hmm. Although it does end with uh, Daryl turning into some sort of weird giant demon thing and then into a What was that at the end?
0: I don't even know, but I will say both of those looked better than the Scorpion King and the Mummy Returns.
1: I'm going to disagree with you on that one. So, you know, big scary demon thing. Sure, it was fun. It was cool monster effect. But the show thing that turns into afterwards when they've like accidentally thrown the doll into a fire and melted him, I genuinely couldn't tell what was occurring. Not just like I couldn't tell what it was supposed to be. I was unclear of the plot during that moment. Fair enough. It goes poof, but I still couldn't tell if that was, like, death or banishment or what. If he, like, chose to teleport away or if he was sent back to the Realms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the Scorpion King, I can at least tell what's happening. I know what is occurring. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it looks bad, but I can tell what's happening. Yeah, I will say which of Issa edges out just a little bit for effect if only because it has him. Yeah. That moves us into our final vote.
0: And this is kind of a tough one because we weren't super keen on either of the films this week. There's always one in a bracket.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to vote Rocky Horror Picture Show, but also because of the sexual assault stuff that's kind of gross and played for laughs, I feel like it almost gets auto-disqualified, so it goes to Witches of Eastwick by default, but not because I would vote for uh, Witches of Eastwick. Whereas
0: I'm definitely putting my vote with Witches of Eastwick, even though I didn't particularly like it, and I think it's just as problematic as Rocky Horror just in different ways. I was at least able to follow the plot of the film for the most part, even if
1: it is kind of slow in places. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I get that. Whenever I come to a tie, I just decide which would I rather watch again. And I could watch Rocky Horror Picture Show, if you're listening to this when it comes out, tonight at the Cornerstone Theater. But which is obviously, I don't feel any particular need to rewatch it. It's fine. If I didn't have to for the podcast, I wouldn't watch either
0: of these films again. But if I had to choose one, it'd probably be Witches.
1: Yeah, that's fair. But unfortunately, Rocky Horror, it gets a disqualification, so I'll move each week along. Unfortunately, we have to figure out what movie we're going to watch for the like, classic witch movie. So That'll be interesting. Which leads us into what's coming up next week. With round two. We're doing something special with round two. Because these are movies focused on the classic Universal Monsters, we're also going to watch the classic Universal Monster movie that relates released to them and compare how they've grown and changed. So coming up next week, we will be
0: discussing The Shape of Water as well as The Mummy Returns. And our research films for that will be Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Mummy with Boris Karloff. If you want to be sure to catch that episode as soon as it goes live, make sure to follow us on Twitter,
1: Facebook, Podbean, and Spotify. Also, both The Mummy and Creature from the Black Lagoon are really short. So if you have time, definitely put them on. They're pretty easy to find. I think more people should watch the classics if only just to understand where a film is coming from. And if you're listening to us, you probably at least care a little bit about where a film is coming from. And it also, tis the season. This has
0: been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.